Well, if you would open your Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 1. That'll be the last time, maybe not forever, but for some time that I'll say Romans chapter 1. Now, believe it or not, we're making really good progress, and today we are going to finish Romans chapter 1. It's a larger text, verses 24 to 32, but I do want to cover them in its entirety this morning. I would just as soon avoid them, but I'm going to, hopefully uh, we will be able to get some and draw some good application from them. If you do not have your Bibles with you, which I hope you do, and there's also, I may take the opportunity also to say there's some more scripture journals on the back table, uh, but if you do not have your Bibles with you, you can open the Pew Bible to 939, page number 939. Starting with verse 24, God's inspired and inerrant and sufficient word reads, Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to the impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men, committing indecent acts, and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, and although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Father, this morning we just ask a blessing upon the reading of your word. And Father, I, we invite your spirit. As we always do as we come before your text to illuminate this text for us. Not only that we understand it, but that we know how to apply it. Each and every one of us finds ourselves in this passage somewhere. And so, Father, help each and every one of us focus upon ourselves and what you may or want to say to us. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. I've simply titled this, Abandoned by God. Back when I was about 23 years old, I don't know, it's becoming a long time ago, so I don't remember exactly the age. I think I was about 23 I got my first job as a supervisor for a large construction company. The company sold out to Kay Hovanian, which you still find up the street. And as I uh, was there as a, as a young man learning the, the hard lessons of life of supervising many people, between the home office and subcontractors and homeowners and building departments and city ordinances and county ordinances, It was a challenge. I didn't know what was before me, but one of the parts that my boss wanted me to learn was sales. 
said, it's important to learn sales. And so he said, go see this guy. I can still remember him, uh, Bob McCormick. He was a legend in the home selling industry. And uh, he said, go spend some time with Bob. And so I spent some time with Bob. And I remember the very first session, the very first sales appointment that I sat in with him. He gave sales presentation. And as he finished his presentation, he stopped. That was it. And there was silence. Silence. I kept watching. Pretty soon he picks up the newspaper and he starts reading the newspaper. Now, mind you, this young couple is still before his desk looking to buy a home. He's reading the newspaper. They left. I said, Bob, what gives? He said, the next person who talks loses. He said, you give your sales presentation, and then you shut up. The next person that talks loses. He went on to give me some other instructions as I learned from him. I think I became a pretty good student of his. But as I continued to learn, I realized that what Bob is teaching and what Bob is is saying, that we can talk ourselves into the sale and we can keep on talking and talk ourselves right out of the sale again. And what I, earn, what I understood, and each and every one of us know this to be true, that often we are our own best salesman. We can be given the sales pitch, and if we have a desire for whatever is being sold, if we want it, we sell it to ourselves, and we become convinced of the importance of purchasing or having that item, car, home, candy bar, whatever it may be. And today, I think in this text, we have a classic case of buyers selling themselves of what they are convincing themselves of that they want. Some say uh, America or that God is going to judge America if America does not change its ways. I'm here to tell you God is already judging America, and God has already judged America. All we need to do is pick up a newspaper if there is such a thing anymore. All we need to do is get the smartphone out of our pocket and whatever the news app is that you use and read the headlines. As we go through the most recent headlines, we will find a 22-year-old male wins the Women's NCAA Division I Swimming Championship. We find that history was made last year when the Senate voted to confirm Dr. Rachel Levine as Assistant Secretary for Health in the Department of Health and Human Services. Levine is the first openly transgender federal official to be confirmed by the Senate. As we continue to read this newspaper, we will find that a Florida bill, which some opponents have called the Don't Say Gay Bill, was signed by DeSantis on Monday. And it simply reads this, that classroom instructions by school personnel or third parties on sexual orientation or gender identity may not occur in kindergarten through age three, so under eight-year-olds, or in a manner that is not age-appropriate or developmentally appropriate for students in accordance with state standards. 
we will also read that in the uh, in Judge uh, Katanji, excuse me, Katanji Brian Jackson's confirmation hearing, the Supreme Court nominee was asked, "Can you give, provide a definition for the word woman?" Jackson responded, "I'm not a biologist." We will also read as we go through our newspapers and the apps on our phones that pregnant mothers are now referred to as birthing people and pregnant people. And we read and find out that males evidently can become pregnant. These are things that we find within our newspapers. This is the sexual revolution that we find ourselves in. And we think that it has never been this bad before. Oh, no, there's nothing new under the sun. This has always been with us and continues to be with us. So far as the secular world and what we see out there, has to be alarming to us. But my concern isn't out there. My concern is in here in the church. And depending upon where we get our news reporting or the different things that we care to read, we will find that the United Methodist Church will be splitting over the LGBTQIA plus differences. Over the past, our, or I should say our past affiliation with MCUSA is just one vote away from full inclusion. No longer pretending, no longer looking the other way, but fully including Homosexuality, lesbianism, transgender, all of these things that the world itself wrestles with. Now, this downward spiral that we have started last week, or actually the week prior, ultimately ends with God's abandonment of his people. What a sobering thing! What a sobering thought! And so I don't want to necessarily focus in on these passages in a way that I normally would because the passage itself is, is quite clear. And for most of us, I would assume we are in agreement with the passage and what it is teaching. And so I want to look at it in more of a general way this morning. And so I want to start out by pointing out to you that uh, three times... The text records for us, God gave them over. We see it in verse 24. God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts. We see it in verse 26. God gave them over to degrading passions. We see it in verse 28. God gave them over to a depraved mind. We see this downward spiral of this God gave them over. But we see the root of the issue. The root of the issue is in verse 28, where it starts there that, and just as they, and we'll have to focus in on who the they is shortly, but just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God. I say it over and over and over again. Everything starts with God. 
It does not start with you. It does not start with I. It doesn't start with our neighbors and our feelings and our thoughts and our wishes and our wants. Everything starts with God. When we fail to acknowledge God, it is the beginning of this downward spiral, as you often hear it said, this downward slope. I'd prefer the downward spiral as we spiral into the darkness below. And ultimately, it leads to this portion of Scripture right here. And I think, again, it needs to be pointed out, verse 32, although they know, although they know, multiple times in chapter 1, we are told that they know God, that we know God, and that we chose different. So who is they? I had fun with it. You may do it for your own exercise. I don't know if it's fun's the right word, is it? But as you start with the they, they is three times in verse 32, and work your way backwards to try to find out who is the they. And as you trace the they and the them back, you will find and end up at verse 18. And verse 18 describes who the they and the them is. It is for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. Starts with God. All ungodliness and unrighteousness, man's actions. For those, what does it say? For those who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. The they and the them are right here. Those who fail to acknowledge God and fail to do rightly. It are these that is he being spoken of here that find themselves on this downward spiral here this morning. Verse 19, it told us that man is without excuse because the knowledge of God is within each and every one of us. Men and women have been created in the image of God, and God's DNA, if you will, is within each and every one of us. So we are aware of God. We are told in verse 20 that not only are we aware of, of God's presence in his most prized creation, humanity, humans, but also in the natural world. We see God's handiwork. We see God in all of creation. So we see God within us. We see God in, in the rest of God's creation. And then in verse 21 that I attempted to focus on last week, but grandbaby kept staring at me. Uh, in verse 21, where we've seen revelation, refusal, and rejection. We've seen that, again, in verse 21, it tells us that even though they knew God, this is the revelation, no one is unaware of God. The second phrase of verse 21, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. The refusal to honor and glorify God. And then finally, we see the rejection in verse 21. That they became futile in their speculation. Futile nonsense, speculation thinking. Their thinking was nonsense. It was a total rejection. And their heart was darkened to where it could no longer make sense of anything. As one particular commentary put it, I don't remember which one, um, put it like this, God ceases to hold the boat 
as it is dragged by the current of the river. I like that. God gave them over. It's as though the river of life, the river of the culture is pulling, pulling. And the boat itself cannot hold itself within the current. And yet it wants to, it wants to get out into the current. And finally, God lets go of the rope and the boat finds its way floating down the river. The root of all evil. I know the Bible tells us the love of money is the root of all evil. I think more specifically and more generally, we can trace that back also to the root of all evil is the failure to give glory and honor to God. The failure to give glory and honor to God. It is not a coincidence that the Westminster Catechism starts with what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Everything starts with God, including sin, by failing to acknowledge and glorify God. All sin can be traced back to the failure to acknowledge God, to the failure to glory God, to the failure to, to honor God. God has a name. Sometimes we speak generically about God. God has a name. God said, I am. Translates over as to Yahweh. God has a name. God is not generic. God is Yahweh. In Luke chapter 4, verse 8, Jesus, in his time of temptation when Satan took him out into the wilderness, he rebuked Satan by quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6. You shall worship Yahweh your God and serve him only. Everything starts with honoring and glorifying God. It is idolatry that starts this downward spiral. And so I'm going to take a little more time this morning because I want to cover this all, and I am approaching it from a bit of a different angle. So I want to go back, not quite to the beginning, but I want to go back to Exodus. And as we, as we think about this, and as we take our mind a little bit off of maybe where we normally want to go in this portion of Romans chapter 1, I want to go back and, and go to what led these people, what led Paul writing from Corinth, a city that was, we may call it uh, Las Vegas or something, I don't know, but as a city, writing from this city with these thoughts, with these things before him, but yet what led to this? And I want to go back to the golden calf in Exodus chapter 32. And it starts quite simply that now when the people saw that Moses delayed Coming back down from the mountain, the people assembled, and Aaron said, come, make us a God. They told Aaron, Aaron, make us a God. And Aaron said, give me your jewelry. Take off the jewelry off of your ears and off of your rings and out of your nose and everywhere else that you may find it, and give it to me. And it tells us there in Scripture that Aaron molded it down, melted it down, I guess, melted it down and molded from it, literally made with his hands, a golden calf, and the people worshipped the golden calf there. And, and as, 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 as Yahweh saw this and spoke to Moses, and he said, go down at once, Moses, for your people. 
I like how God switches over. To your people, they have made for themselves a molten calf. Verse 10, God ultimately says, now let me alone, for my anger may burn against them and I may destroy them. God said, Moses, let me alone. The people have abandoned their God. In Isaiah chapter 44, In Isaiah chapter 44, starting at verse 9, heading of your Bible may say something like the folly of idolatry. We see that the falling of Israel. And it tells us here, it kind of takes the image of Aaron molding and shaping an idol. And it says this, he says, those who fashion a graven image are all of them futile, and their precious things are of no profit. Even their own witnesses failed to see or know, so that they will be put to shame. Who has fashioned a god or cast an idol to no profit? Behold, all his compassions or companions will be put to shame, and the craftsmen themselves are mere men. Jump down to verse 12, and the man shapes iron. Just listen to this. The man shapes iron into a cutting tool and does his work over the coals, fashioning it with hammers and working it with strong arm. He also gets hungry. He gets hungry and his strength fails. He drinks water. Another shapes, verse 13, another shapes wood. He extends a measuring line. He outlines it with red chalk. He works it in with planes and outlines it with a compass and makes it like the form of a man like the beauty of a man, so that it may sit in a house. Surely, he cuts down cedars for himself and takes a cypress or an oak and raises it up for himself among the trees of the forest. He plants a fir, and Isaiah adds this, and the rain makes it grow. Not the man. Then it becomes something for a man to burn. So he takes one of them and warms himself. He makes a fire to bake bread. And he also makes a god and worships it. He makes a graven image and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over this half he eats meat as roast roast, and is satisfied. He warms himself and says, ah, I am warm. I have seen the fire. But the rest he makes into an idol. He falls down before it and worships. He also prays to it and says, deliver me, for you are my God. I think this was where Paul gets his language in chapter 1 of Romans. They do not know, nor do they understand. Listen to this. For he, God, has smeared over their eyes so that they cannot see. And their hearts so they cannot comprehend. No one recalls, nor is there knowledge or understanding. 
I burned half of it in the fire, and I have also baked bread and coals. I roast my meat, and then the rest of it I made it into an abomination. I fall down before a block of wood. He feeds on ashes, deceives his heart, has turned aside. Listen, and he cannot deliver himself or say, is there not a lie in my right hand? Listen, this is the human condition. Maybe not to this extent. I doubt that there's anyone here this morning who this past week cut down a tree, used some of the tree to make a piece of furniture, used some of the tree to start a fire, used some of the tree to make an idol and then worship the idol this morning. I don't think so. We see the ridiculousness of it. But I will let you draw the own comparisons to our own idols in our life and the things that we value, the things that take up our time, the things that we worship that begin this downward spiral here in Romans. And I want to go to one more place yet, just in, just to shore up this point. In verse or Hosea chapter 4. In Hosea chapter 4, Hosea, it's this, he says, Listen to the word of Yahweh, O sons of Israel. For Yahweh has a case against the inhabitants of the land because there is no faithfulness or loyalty or knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, deception, murder, stealing, and adultery. They employ violence so that bloodshed follows bloodshed. The land mourns, and on and on he goes. He jumps down a few verses to verse 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, a verse, a portion of verse that we're quite familiar with. For my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, but we must not stop there. Because you have rejected knowledge. These are people that are lacking knowledge because of their rejection of the knowledge, of the truth. Verse 10, because they have stopped giving heed to Yahweh. And ultimately, this is where I want to get to, and that is Hosea chapter 4, verse 17. Finally, Yahweh says, Ephraim is joined to idols. Let him alone. Ephraim is joined to idols. Let him alone. Are there any more sobering words in all of Scripture? And the creator of the universe saying, let them alone. We come back to Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, God gave them over. God is in the active position. It's the imperative. God gave them over. God is active in this process. It's as though one is, if you were going to look into your lexicon, it is as though to give someone over, to hand someone over to the authorities, to hand someone over to the court is a very accurate translation there. God hands them over. And so with that, I want to look at verse 24 to 25 just a little bit, very briefly all these sections. 
In verse 24 to 25, I have only one heading there, and that is just simply desire. We see it right from our text here. Desire can be in a very positive sense. It can be also in a negative sense. It's a, a burning desire, a burning passion within. We can obviously understand the negativity of that and also the positivity in that positivity in it. We find it in uh, such verses such as Psalm 37 verse 4. Delight yourself in Yahweh and he will give you the desires of your heart. It's a verse that many of us hold very dear as we think about delighting ourselves in our creator and that he'll give us the desires of our heart. But here it's used in the negative sense. It's just a Strongly to desire to have something. The definition is as that does not belong to us. It is maybe why if you read through the Ten Commandments, it tells us not to covet our neighbor's wife or our neighbor's donkey or his land or anything else. It's this covetousness that is this desire that we have for something that is not ours. It's to lust, it's evil desires. God gave them over to the desires of their heart. They didn't desire God. They desired stuff. They desired things. They desired the things of the culture, the things of the world, the things that they thought would bring them happiness, whatever. It's what's being thought of here. Also see the next section there, verses 26 to 27. God gave them over to degrading passions. God gave them over, my simple heading, I just changed it a bit, to dishonor. God gave them over to dishonor. It's just to disrespect, is to have no regard for the natural created order. For this reason, God gave them over to dishonor, to degrading passions. And it tells us here how the, the, for, their, for their women exchanged the natural function and then for the man also. And really, the term there that the translators put for us is, is men and women. Well, really, the, the, the real, the Greek would say male and female. And, and I think that's important because I don't believe Paul is using the term man and woman. I think he's literally saying female and male literally out of the animal world, that you're not even civil in how you're acting and the desires and the passions that you have. He doesn't even want to use the term men and women, but that's my thought, not, not, the, not the translator's thought. And they use men and women here to disrespect and have no regard for the natural created order starting all the way back in Genesis chapter 1, of course. And so biblically speaking, some want to, to inject different interpretations and meanings in this type of behavior that is Paul is describing here. And they want to talk about it in, a, in outside of a, a loving relationship, outside of a, a loving consensual context, and is done in a way that is anything but that. I'll just be as, just leave it at that. We know what we're talking about, right? But not at all. See, we can't, we can't fit those things in here. This is absolutely referring to adults making adult decisions, not anything that is forced upon anyone. You're dishonoring the very created order, Paul here is saying. The third section here, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God 
gave them over. My simple heading, again, right out of the text, is just depraved. Your, your translation may say debased. Um, it's just unqualified, disqualified. It is, it is worthless. God gave them over to a worthless, unqualified mind to do the things that they just want to do. This is the end of this downward spiral and ultimately where it leads. And there is a sense in this word that a person has been tested and they have failed the test. There's a saying that says a man who is not tempted is unproved. That's a, I think that's a pretty good saying. We test many things in life, do we not? to prove them, to have confidence in them. And that's the sense that we have here. The man and the woman has been tempted or has been tested, and they have failed. They have proven themselves unworthy. See, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 9, 9.27, excuse me, where he says this. He said, I discipline my body. And make it my slave, I make it my doulos, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Paul understands the importance of the temptation, the importance of being tested. He tells Timothy, he tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. We have another advice list, and I do see time is moving right along, but I have a note in my notes to say that if time allows and time doesn't allow, but I'm not going to pay attention to my notes. Um, <laughs> probably too much information. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, this is, this is one of Paul's last writings to Timothy, to his spiritual son. Paul is a spiritual father to Timothy. And he writes these words right here. He's writing from a prison, writing from jail. Within days or weeks, his head will be severed from the rest of his body. And he's leaving young Timothy, his spiritual son, these instructions. And he starts out in 2 Timothy chapter 3. We also call it a vice list. There's multiple vice lists. We have one here in Romans. Here is another one. And he says, but realize this, Timothy, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers. On and on he goes with the same list that he wrote to the Romans. They're holding to a form of godliness. Although they have denied its power. Timothy, avoid such men and women. Always, for among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women, weak men, weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janice and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppressed the truth. Men of depraved minds, rejected in regard to the faith. See, we have this sense over and over that Scripture warns us that men and women go their own way. And there comes a point in time where God lets them 
go. Not passively, but actively, God turns them over. And so I would like to turn the corner just a little bit this morning. You all are looking very serious as, well, you should. I want to turn the corner just a little bit and, and, and try to find some hope in this difficult passage. Because there is hope in this passage. And I would like to be able to bring some of that out in, 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 in first, first Timothy Paul tells this to Timothy there. He says, uh, in regard to shipwrecking their faith, those men who have shipwrecked their faith, those men who have to completely destroy their faith, men of faith at one time and they've proven not to be truly saved, not to be truly of the faith. Among these are uh, Hymenius and Alexander, who, have ha- who I have handed over. Now listen, here's Paul handing over, who I have handed over to Satan. And this is why, Timothy, so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5, Paul says something very similar. When he says this, that I have decided to deliver such a man to Satan. He describes again, you can look that one up, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5. I have decided to deliver such a man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. Sarks, the destruction of his physical, literal body, so that his pneuma, so that his spirit may be saved. The last days of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, Paul understands the body is just the body. Paul's concern is with the spirit, with the soul of man. And he will sacrifice the body if need be to save the soul. I was reminded of my own upbringing as once again I do group therapy with (laughs) y'all. But in the Amish church, you are shunned. We all know about it. We all read about it. We all hear about it. And as much as I dislike it, as much as I've got baggage and scars and wounds from my childhood, I can appreciate the sentiment. I can appreciate the ideology behind the idea of shunning. It is not because they don't dislike the person. It is literally from this verse right here to try to save the soul of the man or woman who's going against the Atling, going against the ordinances of the church. There is something to be said for loving a person enough that you will do the hard thing even if the hard thing severs a relationship. I was reminded also this week of when I came here nine years ago or so. Um, but anyways, the details of that don't matter. I'll give you the generality of it. But I remember there was, a, there was a lady, and her husband was in prison. And she was dying. And I remember being in the hospital there with her, and she wanted to take herself off of oxygen and all those things. She seen no hope of recovering. Her husband was here in, 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 our, in our local prison. And so I called the chaplain, and I said, Chaplain, this person is dying. She wishes to tell her husband goodbye. And he said, no can do. Can't do that. Like, what? What do you mean you can't do that? I said, no. He doesn't have the privilege. He doesn't have those rights. It's like, what? His wife, did, maybe you didn't, you're a chaplain. Okay, got that. Okay, maybe you didn't listen correctly. His wife is dying. She wants to say goodbye. Can't do it. I couldn't believe it. I said, what? Whatever happened? Whatever happened to rehabilitation? 
Whatever happened about reconciliation? He said, well, who says we're anything about rehabilitation? We're not in the business of rehabilitating anyone. We're in the business of making sure they serve out their due just punishment. I couldn't believe it. Multiple phone calls later, he finally relented, and I got the prisoner on the phone, held the phone to his wife's hand. She said goodbye. It was a sad time. But that's not God. God is in the rehabilitation business. God's in the business of reconciling humans, reconciling men and women who have gone after idols, who have gone after the lusts of the flesh. That's why God here in this sense is turning them over. Not that he's writing them off, not that he's cutting them off, but he's turning them over just as Paul himself was here in the hopes that they will come back to him. That's how we must understand this passage that is before us. Let's not get hung up on the sins that are listed in here as much. Though they are great, and though they are clear, and though they are there, the passage is about reconciling the man or woman who has left and walked away and gone after by their own choice, by their own will, by their own desires, gone down this spiral. God allows us to go our own way in order that we learn to hate that which we desire. God loves us enough to completely destroy our body in a way that will ultimately save the soul. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 39 says, I have wounded, speaking of Yahweh, speaking of God, all caps in your Bible will be Yahweh. I have wounded, and it is I who heal. Isaiah 19, verse 22. Yahweh will strike Egypt. Striking, but healing. Why? So they will return to Yahweh. God is patient. He does not hand over quickly. Second Peter chapter 3, we are reminded of these words here where Yahweh is not slow about his promise. As some count slowness. But he is patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And here next week, maybe, Romans chapter 2, verse 4. The kindness of God, Paul says, right after he wrote this, the kindness of God leads to repentance. In Genesis chapter 3, we see the beginning. Our first parents heading in this downward spiral And it all started by them not taking seriously what God said. And Satan comes along and says, no, you shall not surely die. That is the patience of God that Satan knew was there. No, Adam and Eve didn't take a bite out of 
the forbidden fruit and die on the spot. Eventually, we all do die, as we heard again this morning. Ultimately, God's promises will be fulfilled. Ultimately, we know that God turns people over. And yet, God is patient. God is patient. How long? How long will you and I test his patience? We must not be passive. We must be active. Listen, I'm as reformed as reformed can be. (laughs) But we have a part to play. There is human responsibility in our life, in our relationship. We must not be passive. 1 Peter 1.13, Paul says, or Peter says there, prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Be sober-minded. Sometimes I think we're not sober-minded by, not, by just not wanting, by just ignoring the reality, the things that are right before us. Be sober-minded. Fix your mind and prepare for action. 1 Peter 5.8, a couple verses later, a couple chapters later. Be sober of spirit. Be on alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around looking to see who is not prepared. My own translation, seeking to whom devour. It's, um, the scripture is sufficient. We want to twist, we want to do theological gymnastics to twist and turn and make the Scriptures say whatever we want them to say. And and don't think about anybody else. Think about yourself. We're all guilty of this. We all have our own things we don't particularly care about the Scripture. But it is there for us. The Scriptures are sufficient. There are no new revelations. The canon of Scripture is closed. It's complete. Do we have all information that we would like to have? Nope but we have enough to live this faithful life. The very last chapter of 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says this, and I have used up and you have endured me too long this morning. But it's, Paul says, Timothy, my spiritual son, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is the judge, the living, and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Is there any other season? It's either in or out, right? Be ready at all time. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate themselves, teachers and preachers and speakers and, 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 and YouTubers and podcasters and all these other bloggers and anything else you can add, feel free, that we want to align with, that we adhere to, that we agree with, that tickle our ears. Listen, Scriptures are sufficient for you and I not to find ourselves at the bottom of this downward spiral. And I I just want to leave it there. But this morning, I trust that God was speaking to you in this area. There's so many ways. 
So many times in our current context, our current culture, that we can get so hung up on. Our business is God's business, not that. So I pray that um, this morning as you think about some of those things and maybe read this passage once again over and over or people want to quote it to you, you ultimately remember that what it's telling us, that God hands us over, God is patient, but God is in the business of reconciling his people back to himself. Lord, I thank you for these words of Scripture. Lord, there's quite a list, and every single one of us is located within this list if we want to acknowledge it or realize it or not. Lord, we're great at deceiving ourselves. But may the message that we hear this morning be the message that you do indeed hand us over at times because you love us and that you are patient and that it is your desire that no one perish but that every single person comes back. And we all find ourselves outside of your grace, but that we all find ourselves back in your grace. Father, may your spirit search the hearts and minds here this morning. We pray in the name of Jesus.